Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. From the writings of Moses, through all of the writings of the prophets, you actually can arrive at salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. You know, it's interesting that the first teaching Jesus does upon his resurrection, he does it through the entire testament. It gives us a very, very, very important precedence as to how to study. The first sermon Jesus does. In fact, the only two sermons we are told that Jesus did after the resurrection, he went through the entire testament. We are never for once told Jesus did sermons where he stopped before me. No. Always the entire thing. Hallelujah. Do you ever realize that in the temptations of Jesus, both him and the devil quoted from the Old Testament. What that would mean is that for Jesus to have quoted from the Old Testament, it means the devil quoted the Old Testament out of context. And Jesus, by his body of study of the entire thing, could respond because he understood the context of those statements. Does that make sense? Yes. Remember, I said that context is largely based on reading the entire Old Testament. Does that make sense? Yes. And so, for example, when the devil says that, you know, if you are the son of God, command you to turn to bread. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, him saying, if you are the son of God, it was because God just announced him a while ago. Jesus Christ was just baptized. And when he was baptized and he stood out of the water, God said, This is my beloved son, and God. He's telling us, Okay, you are the son of God. Turn it over to bread. And then he responds with the word. Next citation, he says that the job of the bread of the at least he said he would give his angels and the give his angels and And then how does he respond? He responds by another verse of the Old Testament scripture. Are we together? Thou shalt not taint the Lord your God. So what was the problem of the devil? He was picking verses out of context. Was it the context of a chapter? No. Context of a book? No. Context of it was the entire Old Testament. So when we speak of context in our study, it is the entire book. What you never begin to realize is when we see contradictions in the Old Testament from the New Testament, the problem is not there are, there are actually contradictions. The problem is we are reading out of context. Because if you would pay attention to the entire book, you would come to a point where you would see clearly that the God who is explained in the New Testament is the same that has always been. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Amen. So two things we've seen so far when it comes to studying the Old Testament. Number one is from the Old Testament you can understand salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Note, not from everything in the Old Testament writings, clearly, because there are other things that were not concerned. That's why I use the word all specifically. Are we together? So we can understand by specifically by specifically studying the things concerning the death and resurrection of Jesus. Are we together? But how are we going to be able to do that successfully? By reading the entire book. You know, there's a way we read the Old Testament, even now that we understand the Old Testament, we cherry pick Messiah verses. We cherry pick it. When you do that, you also close your eyes to some very big things. For example, do you realize that? The Messianic representation of the entirety of the book of Esther was the fact that Esther was going to rescue the Israelites. Was it, and if you don't forget, Esther was told, if you don't forget very well, Esther had to go into prayer and fasting for three days. I wish that. 
And then after that, she went to meet the um, king, who, by the way, he didn't point his staff to match with them. So that was her going through the valley of the shadow of death. She, so literally, she went into death. Because when you go to a place where you're not sure whether you're going to come out alive or dead, it's as good as you went there. Are you with me? And so for her to have come out alive, we see resurrection. And her coming out alive also showed that the king agreed to what she said. Meaning the Israelites were now saved. Are we together? Yes. Can you see? Resurrection and the bringing of many souls to glory. But do you realize that if you are to try to use verse by verse, you won't find it. You have to read the entire book. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Context in the Old Testament, context generally, is reading the entire thing. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Remember, what I'm trying to tell you, he that will be a good Bible student, he must at least read the entire thing. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. One of the things I've said I'm going to do every year, I'm going to read the Bible from beginning to the end, every year, every year, every year. Read the entire thing. Read the end. Tell you. There is a kind of, my folks know. Ever since they read the Old Testament, there's a, there will be a difference in how you see things. Generally, there's not a way you can be very dismissive of the Old Testament when you don't read it. When you read it, you always come out to say some things. There's a way we used to say it in the Old Testament. We say this one, say, "Ah no, it's not God." Ah. <sighs> read it first. By the time you read it, you say, "Ah, it's God." It's God. But there is an explanation for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Can you not see how Bible study is? <laughs> Everybody is not easy work. Hallelujah. I cannot say I, I started to have about 30 minutes. This study of Bible, respectfully. I'm not like because now. It's not like that book. I can't say um, they, uh, that is it. They, they are gatekeeping. They are gatekeeping Bible study. They said that if it's not like for more than 30 minutes, you don't do Bible study. I do not say so. If that's what you want to do, the study of Bible for 30 minutes. There's no problem. So that's why you're waiting, man. No problem. <laughs> I'm just saying that if you say you want to study your Bible, you're going to sit down with it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's continue. Alright. So, in verse 27, Luke 24, verse 27, back to 27. He says, I'm here, I'm looking at all the scriptures. Uh, a lot of prophets, sorry. He expounded. Now, the one expounded there, let me talk to you about that word. Is the Greek word diameno. Diameno. Right? D I E R M E F U O. Now, it's nothing from two Greek words. Dia and Hermeno. Dia and Hermeno. Diameno just means to interpret. It means to translate. It means to interpret. It means to translate. It's going from two words. Dia, D I A. And Hermeno, H E R M E N E U. That's where the word Hermeno is gotten from. Now, the word dia means to go through. It means to go through something. Hermeno means to translate something to vernacular. Now, let me tell you the importance of this. You see, when, after the Jews, of course, the language of the Jews is Hebrews, and that's why the Old Testament, I never wondered why we always say New Testament is in Hebrews, New Testament is in Greek. Why? Is it that they just felt like, let's, you know, we recently were already, let's do something more fascinating. Let's do Greek. You know. Now, the old service was written in Hebrew. Now, if you don't forget, there was the Babylonian exile. I want you to recognize. There was the Babylonian exile. Now, because of the Babylonian exile, and if you don't forget, the Babylonian exile lasted for 70 years. What that means is that at least one generation would have gone. And you need to understand the meaning of an exile. The meaning of an exile is that they take people from where you are, 
they moved into an entirely new place as slaves. Meaning, you don't have, it's not, it's not the way you have sabo, that you have houses together in place. It is, you don't see your people anymore because you're a slave somewhere. So now you are forced to learn the language of those people, number one. You don't have the opportunity to speak your language to your people. If by any means you have children, the, your children will learn the language of those people. Do you understand my point? I will say that. So, in, imagine in 70 years that kind of thing happened. The first generation of people that they brought definitely would have gone. First of all, they have that because it's a battle, all of the men from about 20 years, most of them would have, would have been killed. Are we together? So we, we don't really have men anymore. Now we have women. The first, those generations of women would have died. They would have grown old and died. And now we have new generation. They, 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 they did not have the luxury of learning. First of all, we cannot even have so many new generation children because they are slaves. They basically have husbands and wives. Are we together? Then the few that come about are not even able to learn the Jewish language. And so they have to learn the language of the Babylonians. Are we together, guys? And so because of that, they began to speak Aramaic. Aramaic is the language of the Babylonians. Are we together? It's the language of the Babylonians. It's actually um, got it from the king of Aram, the Arabians. They were speaking Aramaic. So in case you hear that, the Jews, like in the New Testament, those four Gospels, you notice that you hear that they, they were speaking the type of Jesus, for example. Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. Are we together? He didn't speak the Jewish language. Are we together, guys? But now here is where it gets interesting. Jesus was born into speaking Aramaic. But don't forget, they already had the Old Testament scriptures, which was the Hebrews. So meaning, Jesus' teaching ministry would have been one that involved a lot of translation. Because he would have had to translate from the language of Hebrews that the Israelites were with before to their current language, which was Aramaic. Does that make sense, guys? Yes, sir. Now, Aramaic is not necessarily a new language. It's just like a dialect of the Jewish language. I was that. So it was not entirely different, but it was like a dialect of it. It's like when you have English and then you have Pidgin. Do you understand? I was saying that. So even Jesus in his earthly ministry would have been only the Hebrew. I was that. Jesus would have said, this one that because now this is also the thing. They also had those scrolls that they had were written in Hebrew. I was saying that. Jesus was born into Aramaic language. He was born speaking Aramaic, even though he was a Jew. I would say that next. Meaning Jesus would have had to do a lot of this is what the word means in the, in the Hebrew. This is what it would mean in the Aramaic. I would say that next. Another thing you also need to understand is only the Elites in those days spoke Hebrew. Why? Because it was like school language. You know what they used to study in school then was the laws. I would say that the laws of Moses. Alright? The Old Testament. That was like literally what they used to study in school. And so of course it's only the guys that are sound, the doctors of the law. They are the only ones that have access to that language because they were studying. Are we together? They were because but so because they were studying that language. In other words, if Jesus would have to teach the common man who doesn't understand Hebrew from an Hebrew book, what would he have to do? He would have to explain that word in the Aramaic. Are we together, guys? So Bible interpretation is not complete without language translation. That was what I'm trying to let you see. So, I don't want you to think that the idea of Greek and Hebrew is something that we call it out. Jesus would have been doing the same thing. Because the word hermeneo literally means to translate from a particular unknown language to your vernacular. So, Jesus himself would have done a lot of translating, he would have done a lot of interpreting. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? Yes. Does that make sense? So, I'm not trying to let you know, in case you, so when you see 
The Greek word for this word is this. The Hebrew word for this word is this. That's just why. How is it that? When in Hebrew, I'm going to explain why the Testament is in Greek and stuff like that. But I just want to say that for now. So, let's continue. Now look at Luke 24 from verse 44. <clears throat> Luke 24 from verse 44. So, but, so one thing you see, however, is that in Jesus' teaching ministry, what he does is that he brings together the Old Testament scriptures, everything together, hallelujah, to consume as a volume. And when he does that, what now happens? He now understands salvation through faith in God, Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Now, let's continue. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Now, this time, Jesus was now with his own disciples. Right? He says, This are the words where I speak, I speak unto you while I was yet with you. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. Can you see? The writings of Moses. In the prophets and in the Psalms concerning who? Me. So, Jesus is telling you that in the law of Moses, in the prophets and in the Psalms, there were things written concerning what? Me. Does that make sense, guys? Because not me, him, Jesus, right? So he says, then open in the understanding. Now this is where it gets interesting. The word open here is the Greek word dianoigo. Dianoigo, D-I-A-N-O-I-G-O. Don't get tired. I know you're tired, right? Don't get tired. Let's go. Dianoigo. It means to open for the first time. This is a very interesting word because I see the importance. It means it's literally the word that is used for the opening of the womb of a woman with her first child. That's the word that I'm doing. Alright? Uh, let me just show you places where it was used. It was used in Luke 2 and verse 23 and Luke 24 and verse 31. Luke 24 and verse 31. I don't have time, so this is So it says, he opened their mouth. So that means, don't forget, this was his disciples he had been speaking to all the while. I will tell that. He had been speaking to his disciples, I mean, he had three and a half years of ministry with them. But now he now says, you open their understanding for the first time. Meaning, what we see here was actually really the first time the apostles or the disciples understood the scriptures. So, if you were to pay attention to the teachings of Jesus while he was on the earth, to his disciples, you would understand some things. But you would never truly be able to understand the importance of scripture. Does that make sense, guys? Yes, the point where you begin to see scriptures clearly understood was here. Which is at the tail end of Jesus' ministry after his resurrection. And look what he says. He says, he opened the understanding, opened it for the first time, that they might understand that the word understanding here is news, their mind, their thinking. We, we saw it before. Anointes. Amen? Amen. Anointes. Ophus. Anointes. Alpha. Anus. Are we together? That word here. But the word understand here is a very beautiful word. It's the Greek word sunemi. S-U-N-E-I-M-I. Sunemi. Now, this is where sunemi comes in. So that means from two words, soon and hear me, S-U-N and hear me, H-I-E-M-I. The word soon means together. The word soon means together. And the word hear me means to send, to send forth, to put forth. So, Sunaini means literally to put forth, to put things together and put it forth. Are we together, guys? Now, look at it. He opened their understanding, that's opened it for the first time, opened their minds and their thinking for the first time, that they would do what? They would put together the scriptures. So, the first time they actually understood the scriptures was the point where they did what? They put it together. And what now happened? 
that they might understand the scriptures. So continue verse 46. Verse 46. He says, and he said unto them, Thus it, thus it is written, and thus it behoves the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the world third day. So, how will a man be able to understand this? By bringing it together. So, the first time we actually see that the disciples' eyes were opened to understand the scriptures, what happened? There was a bringing together of all of the books of scripture. And by it, they were now able to understand salvation through the Christ, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Does that make sense, guys? I will say that again. What I'm trying to let you see is a subtle idea that we've not paid attention to for the longest time. You know, there's just a way we don't read or we read the what Jesus did here and just say, oh, Jesus taught them about himself from the Holy Scriptures. But there was a manner of teaching. The manner of teaching was that he used the entire book. Why did Jesus have to do that? I mean, I don't know about why. Why, was this, why did they specifically say Moses and the prophets? Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. There was something they were trying to communicate to you. To let you know that for you to be able to arrive at the conclusion Jesus arrived at, you must read the entire thing. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to Jesus. Amen. amen. You guys are saying Amen. <laughs> oh Lord. Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So I talking about the fact that every time when Jesus corrected people in the Old Testament, or sorry, in the four gospels, he was correcting them as regards the scripture. Hallelujah. Even for example, in Matthew chapter 19, from the spirit tonight, Matthew 19, verse 9, I don't write it down. You know, when they came to meet um, um, Jesus and you know, the Pharisees asked, he said, you know, um, Moses told us to put up a bill of divorcement, you know, you know, to divorce a man and a woman. I said, but what do you see? And Jesus says, he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Therefore, what God has done together, let them have put us on. He said, Wait. So, but Moses told us to put out the bit of divorcement now. And then look at what he says. He says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, told you that you could put away a woman for any reason. He now says, however, in the what? Beginning, it was not so. In other words, both of them are not the summit. But there is a beginning. And they say, ah, I'm going to be with Amen. You know, this place is just a good testament. The shadow. Ah, of course. Ah, you will see shadow. Amen. Then you can see light. Ah, amen. Amen. Meaning, even in the Old Testament, for me, now, it's not going to get nice in my mouth. Based on what we know as the Old Testament, we see a kind of context. The reason the Jews were doing the things they were doing was because they did not understand the entire context of scripture. If they did, they would realize that there was something that came, there was something that was existent before they began to act some certain way. Fine, Moses told you to put away, to use a bit of the gospel to put away your life. However, in the beginning, it's not so. I hope you realize that that beginning that he's speaking about was in the beginning in Genesis. Are we together? So meaning in the same Old Testament, there is a part where Moses says, what God has just said, let one put us under. And in the same Old Testament, there is a part where he says, you can divorce your wife with the will of divorcement. How do you know which is which? And how do you know which is the most superior one in context? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Amen. So, how do you study the 
in the revelation, in the light of the revelation of Christ, but more importantly, in the context of the entire scripture. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. The context of the entire scripture. Now, before we begin to ask ourselves important questions, if Jesus claims that from the Old Testament scripture, we could understand salvation through faith in Him. How did the information get there? Because quite frankly, you don't find the name Jesus in the New Testament. Are we together? We don't find the name Jesus in the New Testament. So, how then is it possible that we have that information present there? So, go to First Peter chapter one. First Peter one. We start from verse ten. First Peter chapter one and verse ten. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. First, there's the word. Hallelujah. Okay? He says of the salvation. Now pay attention. He says of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. He says, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So we see that. Go ahead. You can stay in verse 11. There's no problem. <laughs> Alright. So he said, so what do we see from verse 10? He says, there was a salvation. The prophets inquired and searched diligently. Are we together? And at the same time, the prophets prophesied of the grace that should come to you. Are we together? So we see two things with the prophets. We see them searching. Are we together? And then we see that there was also prophecies through them. Right? He says, prophesy of the grace that should come to you. He says, searching what? So it lets us know what they are doing. He said, they searched diligently. Are we together? So verse 11 lets you know what they were searching for. He says, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. So, the prophets were searching for two things. They were searching what, meaning they were trying to understand what, like what is this thing about. And they were trying to search what manner of time, the word time is Kairos, by the way. What manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. A very important question you also ask yourself. In them, was it referring to Prophets or in the prophecies? In the prophets or in the prophecies? Prophecies. In the, in the prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> now, it couldn't have been in the prophets. Why? Because on almost in this time, they did not have the spirits within them. John chapter 39 says, This is space signifying of the spirit of the 39 because the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Are we together? So, the spirits would be given upon the glorification of Jesus. So, at this point in time, when the prophets were speaking, Jesus was not glorified. And so, the spirits could not be inside the prophets. Does that make sense? So, the spirits rather, would rather have seen, when he says the spirit being in them, it's more of in the prophecies, we see activities of the spirits. Does that make sense, guys? Does that make sense? So, he said, so, what this would mean for the prophets to be searching, and to be inquiring, this would mean that even though the prophecies came from the prophets, the prophets did not understand what they prophesied. Again, for the prophets to have prophesied and to now start searching about what they prophesied, it would mean that the prophets, even though they prophesied, did not understand what they prophesied because they were searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ was in them signified. I was there. So we see prophecies through the prophets, or the truth. But then, what we now also see is that even though the prophecies came through the prophets, 
as I'm going to show you very soon, he did not come willingly. And so, it came out and they did not even understand what it is they prophesied. So now they now have to do searching. They have to do searching. Inquiring diligently. Now, the word searching there, let's just see something. It's really what E-R-E-U-N-A-O. 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 It means to search or to examine. To search or to examine. It's the word of this in John chapter 5, verse 39. John 5, 39. When Jesus was speaking, and he says, Search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. They are they that testify of me. So John was trying to say, Examine the scriptures. Look through it. Are you together? Look through the scriptures. He says, You think in them you have eternal life. He says, Those scriptures testify about me. In other words, Jesus wasn't trying to tell them to do what they have not been doing before. They have always been searching. That was the reason. If you don't forget, in John 4, the Samaritan woman, who by the way, the Samaritan, you used to understand, they were called the cousins of the Jews. They were not Jews, but they were not exactly Gentile. The way they were was like they were kind of close to the Jews, like somehow, because they were from Abraham. Now, this is the interesting thing about them. They only believe in the first five books of Moses. They don't believe the rest of the prophets. They only believe in the first five books of Moses. It's less interesting because even a Samaritan could say, I know the desire is coming. A Samaritan woman. She could say that I know the desire is going to come. How did she know from the Old Testament scripture? I would say that there. Meaning, by searching, she was able to arrive at a particular truth. The desire is coming. I don't know when it's going to come, but I know the desire is going to come. I would say that. How did she come about that by searching scriptures? Does that make sense? Then? So, can you now see also why in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 to 12, the prophets, just like every other Jew, were searching. Are we together? For them to have searched, they will search the spirit, they will search the scripture. The prophet, the prophets will prophesy, of course, it's releasing the scripture. Then the prophets will now be searching through those scriptures to understand salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Are we together? Now, they might not necessarily know that what they are searching for, they just know a Messiah is going to come. Of course, they will have heard things from, like I mean, most documented about, about Genesis, for example, documented about Adam. Are you together? The seed of the woman will put the head of the serpent. If you look at the way Cain was named, you will know that he knew something. For example, one of the things that, you know, um, in the um, in the program of Evangelion, which is the first declaration of the gospel, as people say, I don't believe it is anyways, but let me just say it by the way. Um, you see that it said, in Genesis 3, I'm to say, the seed of the woman will bruise the what? Head of the serpent. The seed of the woman, right? What is the name of Cain? The name Cain, what's the name? It means I received a man from him. She thought it was Cain. That would bring the end of something. That's what she thought. So, the, already, God had said, your seed will bruise the head of the serpent. So, the man she got this soul, she said, oh, I received this man from the Lord. She thought it was Cain that would bruise the head. What am I going to do? I'm trying to let you see that even the Old Testament guys actually had some understanding. They might not have had the full details. But by them examining things that happened and examining true scriptures, are you together? They arrived at some level of truth. Do you know how interesting it is that when Herod was looking for Jesus, what did he do? He didn't look for him by saying, um, ah, where do you think he can be? No. He says, according to the scriptures, where will he be gone? Are you together? And he said in Bethlehem of Judea. He said, because of this, they want to kill all of the children that are less than two years old. Meaning, they believe the scriptures will be accurate enough to let them know location. Are we together, guys? So, you would talk about certain truths. By just careful study of the scriptures. 
Are we saying the right? Does that make sense? So can you not see what he says when he says the prophets inquired and sat diligently? Because what were they trying to do? They were trying to first of all understand the details and they were trying to understand when it was going to happen. Are we together? Are we together? Now, go to verse 12. Verse 12. He says, also whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us, they did minister the things that are now reported unto you by them that preach the gospel unto you. Clearly, you know, go this. But what it just means is, after their incessant searching, they, it became known to them that these things that we prophesied, or this salvation we've been speaking of in bits and pieces, is not going to come in our time. It's going to come later on. That's the reason why the woman in John 4 says, I know there is a desire that is what? To come. Are we together? So, one thing was clear. From the understanding of the Old Testament, they knew that the Messiah would come. They might not have known when, but they knew that a Messiah would come that would save them. They also might not have known the meaning of the salvation, but they knew somebody was going to come and save them. That was the reason in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, even after Jesus had risen up, the disciples actually said, ah, Master, will you once again restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they thought the kind of salvation is just like every other Old Testament prophet. You come around, you liberate Israel. Do you understand? Joshua, for example, you know, you fight wars for them. You understand? You make Israel a great nation. Same with David. Same with. So every single prophet that came around, what would they always do? They would always stand as a savior for Israel. Do you understand? But the salvation was always in the sense of saving them from people around them. Are you with me? And so that was also the kind of mindset they had towards Jesus. That even if this Messiah comes of the truth, alright, the kind of salvation he's going to give us is going to be that he will save us from the Romans. Who have been persecuting us? I will just my point. Who have been exercising worship over us? So that's why they asked me, say, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you understand me? And then he now says, he now changes their mind and tells them that it is not of you to know the times that the Father has did fix in his hands. He now says that, but you shall receive power that the Holy Ghost come upon you and you will be witnesses of me. So he changes their mindset of the kingdom from the kingdom of the earth to another kingdom whose propagation is by the preaching of the gospel. Are we together? Do you understand me? Very good. Amen. Hallelujah. Whew, I feel like I said it wrong. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So one thing we see is that we see the prophets prophesy. They might not have understood, or they clearly did not understand everything that they prophesied. And that was the reason why they did, they, they did a lot of searching and inquiring diligently. Does that make sense, guys? And then as a reason of them searching and inquiring diligently, they would clearly see that when the Messiah was going to come, he wasn't going to come in their time. He was going to come later in the future. Are we together, guys? Do you understand me? Beautiful. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Wow. Thank you. I was to question and answer. You know what? This is what I'm going to do. Because of time, we're not going to take questions and answers today. But this is what's going to happen. If you have questions, right, um, I need you to do your best possible. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to create a link, all right, where you can type any question you have, all right, and then in different, using different, I'll make sure that we attend to all the questions, right? But because of time, that's the question. Is that okay? 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 Is that Verse 16. He says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. What this means? We have not followed cunningly devised fables. Okay. 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 Ok
followers, you know, stories of men. We've not created funny stuff. He says, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Continue verse 17. He says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son, whom I well pleased. Verse 18. For and this voice came, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So this particular occurrence is what happened in, um, in Matthew 17, verse 1 to 5, when that's what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. Alright? When Jesus was on the mount and then he, you know, he was transfigured, right? And then there was Elijah signifying the prophets, and there was Moses, you know, beside him, you know, Peter, as usual, and this should also let you realize something about visions. How did Peter know that it was Moses that it was Elijah? That's my way. Let's continue. So, because think about it, they had never met them before. How did they recognize them? Let's continue. So, we have, so they wanted to lay on that And immediately the voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved son. Hear ye. What is he trying to say? Look away from the laws, look away from the prophets, the finances, and the song. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. And so they saw the glory upon him. But look at what Paul is now saying. What Peter is saying here. He's saying, however, so after he has said all of those, he says, We not, we did not craft story for you guys. I mean, even though I believe that one of the reasons why Peter doesn't have so much to say here is that he was sleeping. And because I mean, you're driving because what we clearly see was that Jesus, um, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses were discussing. In Matthew 17. But Peter didn't hear anything. I'm not blaming him, I'm just saying. But let's continue, shall He now says, No other will say we have the motion of the prophecy. Let me try what Peter is trying to say. Now. It doesn't really matter the vision. What's more important is that we have prophecies to give. Like, even, even though, even though. <laughs> so he says, We have the motion of prophecy. So we just put it as we have the prophetic word confirmed. Are you saying that? Meaning, even though I can tell you experiences, this is to show you the authority or the authenticity of the word over experiences. Are we together? When we say the word over experiences, we don't, we don't only mean experiences that against the word. Even experiences that are aligned with the word is still the word over experiences. Are we together? When we say when we say we believe God's word over experiences, not just when a sickness is not healed. Even if a sickness is healed, our faith in the fact that God can heal sicknesses is not because we saw a sickness that God healed. Are we together? We believe in God's word says so. I mean, your faith, when we say faith is not based on the experience, that's what we mean. People think when we say such things, we say it because when uh, we are seeing things not acting in life because we're no. We say it because it is what God's word said. Even when we see that God's word worked, I always say that we still say that our faith is above experiences. Does that make sense, guys? Above experiences. Above experiences. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Say God's word works. God's word works. God's word works. I see God in my life. In the name of Jesus. God's word works. As God said it, so it comes to pass. God's word works. God's word works. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. God's word works. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, someone for someone here, someone gave you a word about the healing, and you're not saying to your body yet. God's word works. Ah, super God's word works. God's word works. I see something around the heap of a lady here. Pain around the heap. Pain around the heap. Pain around the heap. And you declare God's word of healing to that particular heap. But it's as though the pain has not gone. Hallelujah. God's word works. God's word works. Hallelujah. 
Glory to Jesus. Come back from the world. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God's word works. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let's continue. Alright. Verse 19. So it says, we have emotional or prophecy, meaning beyond experiences. We have the prophetic word confirmed. He says, where to we do well to take it? So he said, it will, be, it will be best for you to pay attention to prophecy. He says, and also a light that shines in a dark place until the day when the day starts in As one is just saying, basically, by paying attention to prophecies, alright? By paying attention to the prophetic words, the darkness of your understanding will be related. Amen? Amen. It's not any deep. There's no realm there. There's 20. Verse 20. He now says, knowing this first. So this is why you are supposed to pay attention to prophecies. That no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, a much more appropriate word from the original is of any private origin. And you see why origin works a lot more better. Go to verse 21. He says, For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Can you see? So it can't have been that prophecy is not by anybody's private interpretation. That doesn't even make any sense right from the neck. The interpretation there, what it actually means is interpretation of things. Meaning, the prophecy did not come by the, by the prophets trying to interpret things. So it's not, like, it's not about interpretation of the prophecy. It's like to say the prophecy did not come by the prophets trying to interpret some funny things. No. I will try to understand my point. So he said, for prophecy came not in no time by the will of man, but only when the God spoke as they were moved. The word moved there actually doesn't mean that you know, you know, just you know, shake their body or something. The word moved there is the word that is not supposed to carry that along. He literally is talking about information. They were moved by information. Do you understand? It's not that God moved them. Like, they could not catch a good of their legs anymore. That's what you have been because we will go to are you together? The move there is the word that means to be carried along. So it says only men of God were carried along with information by the Spirit of God. Are we together? Can you now see why origin would have worked well? So prophecy did not come in no time by the will of man. So no prophecy of any prophet's private origin. Like the prophet did not just decide, oh, let me cook up something. No. He says it came by the by the Spirit of God, not by the will of man. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? Are we together? And but then it tells you you have to pay more attention to the prophetic words confirmed than to the experiences that we have, even if the experiences are true. Does that make sense, guys? Does that make sense? Yes. All right, very good. Mm. Okay, now, now this is also something that, that we should now you know, be able to find out from everything we said so far. First of all, we've seen that we have prophecies concerning desire, concerning the desire, because men spoke it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? The men that the, the fact that men spoke it doesn't mean they understood it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because if they understood it, we would have been able to see it clearly. Their activities and the way they behaved and the things they said and the things they did clearly shows to us that they don't understand. Are we together? That and that's why they have to do what they have to search. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? Now also, this is a very important one, and it's going to be very major when we see the thing. God wasn't trying to hide this from them. The way you know God wasn't trying to hide this from them is that those who examined it actually found answers. They might not have found all the answers, but they found some of the answers. If God was really trying to hide it from them, they won't find anything. And I think it's one of the most important things you learn about the New Testament. Because there's a way we can think that because it's called a mystery, 
It's a mystery because God covered it. No, don't get it wrong. It's not a mystery because God covered it. It's a mystery because they couldn't understand it. It's simple. What is not a mystery? Something that is not understood. Something that needs explanation. Are we together? Do you understand me? So the issue with it wasn't because God wanted to hide it from them. If God wanted to hide it from them, it won't matter how much they sat, they won't find anything. Are we together? The fact that some people searched and they would arrive at some extent of information lets you know that God did hide it. In fact, God did his best to let them see it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, I also believe that one of the reasons, and this is just from personal, it's not a personal standard, but I'm going to show you from scriptures. Now, one of the reasons why it's hard for people to understand salvation through faith in Christ Jesus is what I call the immediate and the future relevance of Messianic prophecies. Again, the immediate and the future relevance of Messianic prophecies. And what does this just mean? It means that you, one of the things you notice about prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Christ is that they always had an immediate effect that makes it look like it was fulfilled. When you now see it in the light of Christ, you now realize, oh, it wasn't. Immediate and future relevance of Messianic prophecies. Immediate and future relevance of Messianic prophecies. Without we are going to make this sermon available. We also need to have to make the video of this available. Please and please. You are you are listening again. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, listen again. This is what I said. Um, <sighs> so let's see examples of what I just said. So the time is there were prophecies that so for example, a prophet would say something and it would have a relevance at that point in time. Like it would look like what he just said. Actually, involves something that was going on after the time. And of the truth involved is, in fact, it will come to pass. So, when you don't read it blank like that, you would think, oh, the, this one, there's not saying anything about any Christ now. But by the time you now pick, first of all, from your understanding of the, of the New Testament, of the epistles, you now come to the New Testament and you pay attention to some details. You now say, oh, this was actually referring to salvation of faith in Christ Jesus. And by you bringing the entire Old Testament together, you also need to arrive at that conclusion. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, guys? Does that make sense? Very good. So let's let's see. Look at First Chronicles 17. First Chronicles 17. Concerning the beauty of God's temple. First Chronicles chapter 17. I'm just going to read from my Bible. I think I'm faster than reading from my Bible. First Chronicles 17. So it came to pass as David sat in his house. So basically, David sat in his house, you know, after Babad, after Babad, blue or blue, then he knew that all of his possessions are like, ah, I'm scared. The chin will be God. The house of God, or the ark of God, is in a tent. He says, I think I need to, you know, build the house of God. I need to build the house, you know, make God's house, you know, look good and stuff like that. And look at what happens. Um, verse 7 you see, now therefore thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus said the Lord of hosts I took you from the sheep coats, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel and I have been with thee, whithersoever thou hast walked, and hast cut off all thy enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name, like the name of the great men that I hear, also I will ordain a place for my people Israel 
is for children. And I'll put them as they shall dwell in their place and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste waste them anymore as at the beginning. He says, and since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thy enemies. Verse 11. And it shall come to pass, now pay attention, when thy days be expired, and thou must go to be thy father. I want to try to read this in the light of the new creation. Okay, very good. That I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Next verse. Verse 4. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne how long? Forever. 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 Next verse, verse 13. I will be his father, he shall be my son, I will not take my mercy away from him, as I took it from him that was before thee. Verse 14. I will settle him in my house, and in my kingdom for what? And his throne shall be established for what? Forevermore. Amen. Amen. Quite frankly, if you pay attention, this can never be an ethnic thing. Can I be so long? I'm just gonna. But look at something interesting. Look at this. Look at first Chronicles now go to chapter 22. Chapter 22. Moses actually thought this was sorry, David thought this was so long. In fact, you see, first Chronicles 22. From verse 1. First Chronicles 22 from verse 1. He says, Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the monks offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together strangers that were in the land. Alright? You know, basically what you see here is David now began to gather enough stuff for the house. So that by the time Solomon is ready to build, he would have enough resources on ground. Are we together? So that's what we're doing here. Now look at verse 5. He says, And David said, Solomon, my son, is tender, and the house that is to be built for the Lord. Must be exceeding magnif- magnificent <laughs> of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Alright? He says, Therefore, he called his son Solomon, child him to be the house of God. Go to verse, verse 8. He says, But the word of God came unto me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars, and thou shalt not build an house unto my name. Because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in thy sight. He says, Behold, a son shall be born unto thee, and who shall be a man of rest. Let's continue. He shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be what? Solomon. Solomon. The word Solomon means man of peace. The word Solomon means man of peace. Do you know what? Isaiah calls the Messiah. Peace of peace. Let's continue. He says, he shall, His name shall be Solomon. I will give him peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Hallelujah. So, David genuinely believed that this prophecy, Isaiah, was concerning Solomon. Amen. I will say that I genuinely believe so. But now, let's now look at other portions of scripture. Now, another question you now want to ask yourself. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 4 to 5, first of all. Hebrews 1 from verse 4 to 5. We have ever seen that a more close in depth study into the those prophecies will make you realize that this is not about children. Because this I will establish his throne and his kingdom for what? Forever. 
So for you to say, I'll be children in the kingdom forever, I'll be at the kingdom. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm together. However, the truth also was that, don't forget, the Messiah was going to come through the lungs of David. So it was still his seed, but the seed was not the immediate seed. Do you understand? So if thus the seed was an immediate seed, whereas the seed was the seed that was coming, the name Solomon, therefore, wasn't necessarily the name of his immediate son. The name Solomon is just like Emmanuel. Emmanuel was supposed to refer to Jesus. Are we together? Do you understand me? The name Emmanuel, in fact, historians say that Isaiah also named the son Emmanuel. Historians say that Isaiah named the son Emmanuel. So just like David, David named his own son Solomon. Whereas Solomon really is the name of Jesus. Just as Emmanuel is the name of Jesus, Emmanuel of God with us, Solomon, the man of peace. Meaning, in, in, in the kingdom, in the salvation plan of God, the salvation is a freedom from works, rest. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Now, whether, who, whoever comes into this kingdom has come into the rest of God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Now, look at Hebrews 1 and verse 5. Look at Hebrews 1 from verse 5. Just to give you some context into that portion of scripture. Hebrews 1 from verse 4 to 5. He says in Hebrews 1 verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, speaking about the Christ, he says, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than thee. He says, For unto the angels said thee at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten him. I will be to me a father, he shall be to me a son. Does this sound like the prophecy that God was telling David about Solomon? Does it sound like it? But was it really about Solomon or Jesus? Jesus. But did everything Jesus about Solomon? Yes. Does that make sense then? Look at Psalms 110 from verse 1 to 2. Psalms 110 from verse 1 to 2. When he talks about, you know, he will give him peace on all sides from his enemies. Psalms 110 from verse 1 to 2. He says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Can you see that? Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your words, footstool. The word until there actually doesn't mean until I make. Actually, a word that actually deems sit down at my right hand. From now on, your enemies are your footstool. Are we together, guys? From now on, you have risen above your enemies. Because do not forget, in the resurrection, what happens? Jesus is made higher. Are we together? That all principalities and powers and might and dominion. And everything that is not only in this world, but also in that which is come. So he is not trying to make his enemies his to be his enemies already are. At the point of the resurrection, when he sat at the right hand of the Father, he ascended to the greatest throne there ever is. Does that make sense? Are we together? So is that peace from all his enemies? Is that peace from all his enemies? So can you now see? Now, but you know the funny thing. Do you realize that Solomon, Solomon also had peace from all his enemies? So can you see immediate and future elements? So Solomon the man on earth actually had peace from his enemies and built the Lord the house. But interestingly, Solomon, I was going through this, Solomon himself confirmed that God does not dwell in temples made with hands. So after Solomon had already actualized prophecy, he now says, see, I even know, me myself, I know that God will not dwell in this place. However, so you know what? Just put your name here. Direct your face here. Whenever people pray, answer. Are we together? So, what do we see in this prophecy? We see an immediate relevance in which Solomon actually actualized it. Actually actualized it. So, 
You see, in Isaiah Network, Solomon actualized the prophecy, and we see a future relevance where it was confirmed in Christ. Does that make sense then? Yes, so, can you now see why you can easily just carry the way through the service? Because you really like to think, oh, this has happened. Whereas, really, it is going to happen in Christ. Does that make sense then? Let's continue. Look at Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, 15 and 22. I'm not going to talk about the talk one. I'm just going to move on the rest of the time. Yeah. Okay. I think it's simply able to finish this particular portion. Deuteronomy chapter 18, from verse 16 to 22. Deuteronomy 18 to 22. It says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shall you again. Continue verse 16. He says, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God, in order with the other said, sage, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this place fire any more that I die not continue. He says, and the Lord said unto me, they have not spoken that which they spoke, that which they have spoken, verse 18. And I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Verse 19. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not happen unto my words, which shall speak in my name, is to require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, because I shall speak in the name of other words, even the prophet shall die. Okay, very good. Now, when you read this, what do you think is the Lord? When Moses says, the Lord my God, now, the very important thing that you should pay attention to, Moses calls this same thing just before he dies. Just before he ends his ministry station, before he dies, he says, probably like, also me, God reigns from among you. You are naturally inclined to think this Joshua, the next prophet. Are you there? You know, you must actually not to him, so on and so forth. But then, when you pay very, very close attention to it, you now begin to realize that it's actually a prophecy about what God will be in Christ. Do you realize that the name Joshua is the Hebrew rendition for Jesus? It's literally the word, it is, Joshua is in, in the Hebrew, it is Yehoshua. Or Yeshua. Which in the, so Yeshua is Hebrew, in the Greek, Yeshua. The meaning of the word jo- Joshua is actually God and salvation. And why is it so? He did not forget. Joshua was actually the one that led them to Canaan land. He was the one that led them from all the wars that they fought into Canaan land and then they dwelt there. What was he trying to say? He was trying to talk about what is the promised land now, the new creation. Are we still? That out of exile we've been taken away and we've been planted on Mount Sinai. Does that make sense? Are we together? So we see an immediate relevance of prophecy, Joshua. Are we together? The ones that will take. So do you know if they are supposed to use Joshua's name in those days? Yehoshua, salvation. I don't know salvation is a spiritual word. Salvation is just a word. Are you together? Which means to say? Okay, so if you are supposed to use Joshua's words in Joshua's name to qualify him in those days, you are saying, Oh, it's only to Kenana, so that makes total sense. Are we together? Whereas his name was actually just like Solomon, just like Emmanuel, his name was a figure of who? Of the Christ. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together, guys? Does that make sense? Beautiful. So I have, some, I have God's promise to Abraham about his seed, that he thought the seed was Isaac, and the Bible actually says in Galatians chapter 3 that the seed is actually Christ. He said, and not, and he didn't say as to seeds as of many, but he said, and to a seed as of one, which is what Christ. 
for the Lord of Zion, can't go there. All right, and then we have David to Psalms chapter 22, 23, 24. Psalms 22, 23, 24, a lot of abuse verses, to be honest, quite frankly. But let me just give you some context this week. Psalms 22, you see it in the vision. It's Psalms 22. Starting from Psalms 22, verse 1. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so I abuse that verse to preach that, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, you know, Jesus submitted, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So at that point, when he was on the cross, the God, God looked away. You know, God forsook him. But pay attention to this. Bible says, God says, I will never leave him or forsake you. If God at any point in time forsook a man, and at another point in time says, I will not leave him or forsake you, we can question his character. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Says, Maybe we'll talk about this in the but at the end of this category, God did not look away any way. Hallelujah. God did not turn any eyes away. Glory to Jesus. Do you realize that every time when the death of Jesus was referenced in the book of Acts, the, the writers or other people of Paul clearly stated that it was better given. Clearly. The only involvement they always had of Jesus, or sorry, of God, is that he raised him from the dead. They always clearly state, even though it is by the providence of God, they always clearly state that you, you by wicked hands, stoned and killed him. In fact, First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, he said, with the presence of this world you don't know, for I didn't know it, they will not have us crucified the Lord of glory. The next year's Kedosuban conference, I'm going to teach understanding the gospel. That's the next year's Kedosuban conference. And we are going to do a study through all of the sermons in the book of Acts to clearly explain the details of the gospel. And we're going to also answer the question how much information is required for a man to be saved over the years? Young Christians ahead. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. But let me just say about Psalm chapter 22, verse 24. We see a lamentation of, of, of David. Now, pay attention. David is lamenting Psalm 22. Actually, that's the title of Psalm 22. You know, complaining this one, that one, and everything. But Psalm 22 is actually a prayer. Psalm 22 is like when a man says, Ah, this and this has befallen, you know, this and this has happened to me, this and this has befallen me, so on and so forth. And then towards the end, he begins to say, What I know that will come to me. If, just take your time and write Psalm 22, what I know. That's, so Psalm 22 actually was, you would think it's a lamentation when you don't read it in context. You would think it was just saying, God has forsaken me. No. The word forsake here actually was referring to when it's like as though your attention is not towards me. It's not like you forgot me. It's like, do this come true for me. But that's the way I'm going to. Now, pay attention. In Lament like that in Psalm 22, in Psalm 23, he begins to talk about walking through a valley of a shadow of death. Lord, if my shepherd are wrong ones, make me lie down with your pastors. You know, see the nice thing was, restores my soul. And you know, you see him talking about, you know, something that looks like going through tough times. Are we together? Going through tough times, coming out of scattered. Are we together? So on and so forth. And then 24. He begins to talk about the gates. He says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his own day? Hallelujah. He says, That has a clean hand and a pure heart. Who has not lifted his soul unto vanity or sunsky? Hallelujah. Then he says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. We lifted up your everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come. How do you not see? That all was the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The death, 
the death, resurrection, glorification. What Jesus did in Psalm 10 years and 22, he wasn't lamenting. He was pointing your attention to something. That that prophecy of Psalm 22 to 24 is about to be revealed. Hallelujah. The death, the cross, Psalm 22. Hell, Hades, Psalm 23. So it's for glorification and ascension to the right hand of the Father. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has a clean hands and pure heart. So Jesus would do that because already he was a sacrifice. Do you understand? So he was the only one that was pleased to be the sacrifice for man's sin. So he was, and that's why he says, Who shall, he says, King of the glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord. The Lord. Who is this king? Little of the Bible Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. The Lord. Who is the referring to Christ? Hallelujah. So it's Psalm 22 24. But also a prayer of protection. Amen. Hallelujah. It's not a prayer of protection. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the resurrection. The death of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Amen. And guess what? We don't we don't cause that verse anymore to open new building. This of your we get build up the everlasting door, King of which are coming. Come. That was the ring of no. Hallelujah. The King of Glory is already ascended. Yeah. Hallelujah. He's in those gates already. Glory yeah. to Jesus. And because he's there with him, seated at his right hand. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So I don't I don't ask him to come. Lift up your we get. No, he's there. Hallelujah. We can see him over there, seated. That's where he's right now. Amen. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. But do you realize that when David says this, historians say that this particular psalm was the psalm that David quoted when Saul actually had to run away from his palace during the revolt of Absalom. And it makes total sense because in time, 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 we don't have time. But you realize that Zion was the city of David in Jerusalem. Zion was the city. Zion was the city of David in Jerusalem. Zion was like the capital of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem in that sense was like the capital where the king stays. How do you get that? Then in that Jerusalem there is Zion. Now Zion was on a mount, and that's where the king was. So David actually ran away. At the point where Absalom revolted and he was going to kill David, David ran away from there. And so what you see was if you read the book of Kings and Chronicles, you see the travail when David had to leave and how remorseful he was. Are you together? You will now see how Psalm 22 played out there. But what you will also see was the point after David had left, when you see his travail after he left Israel, the things he had to face and so on and so forth. It now makes total sense because by the time he went back, are we together? By the time he went back to Zion, he was climbing up a mountain. Do you understand me? So the way Zion was, was you can see it from wherever you are. Do you understand? So Psalm 24 would make it seem like it was happening when David was going. Because now he has fought all the battles, Absalom is dead, so on and so forth. He's now going back to Zion. And so immediate relevance, it seems as though it's happening. The king, the king of glory, is actually going back, I wish better, into Mount Zion. But you realize that the true Mount Zion, don't forget Hebrews 24, is what? Is the heavenly Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem, Zion in Jerusalem. Do you understand? The city of the living God. That is where the King of Glory enters in, into the eternal gates. Does that make sense, guys? Can you see? Immediate relevance, future relevance of prophecies. Does that make sense, guys? 
Are we together? So what I just did to you right now is to make you now begin to understand how to see the Old Testament. So, so that you don't think, ah, well, this prophecy has been fulfilled now. Right? It's because that's the providence of God. God is a master. He's a mastermind. The providence of God is that he can say a word. And that word means is once I this spoke with right in my head. Are we together? He can say a word. And the word has a relevance both now and in the future. Simple. Are we together? So in the prophecies concerning the desire, we see the wisdom and the providence of God. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. So another question you want to ask yourself is why couldn't they understand? Those guys in the New Testament, we clearly have seen they spoke prophecies. Alright? We clearly see that they spoke prophecies concerning the desire. We clearly see that they also did some searching to understand some things and they actually understood some things. We also see, you know, that one of the things that confused them was some of those prophecies were actually happening among them at that point in time. But there was a future relevance. So the other question we want to ask ourselves now is why couldn't they understand? What? Why can they why can they understand now and they could not? What's the first Corinthians? And they were going around. First Corinthians chapter 2. Glory to Jesus. Glory to God. This is where we're going to run Okay. Ah. There's a lot to say here. But let's go. So Paul was speaking to Grace and he says, And I pray when I came out to you, because we came out to the excellency of speech of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, verse 2. But I was by the not to do anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified next to you. And I was with you in meekness and in fear and in much trembling. Now continue verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with the dazzling words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. Now lest you think. Now he says demonstration of spirit and power. Now people think when he said demonstration of spirit and power, then he's referring to healing some miracles. Not entirely true. Go to the next verse. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So this, so don't forget, in context, he's speaking about the preaching of the gospel. He now says that I do not do it with enticing words of human knowledge. But in the demonstration of spirit and power, what will the demonstration of spirit and power cause you to do? Your faith will not stand in the wisdom of men. It will stand in the power of God. Now see what he says about God's power. Verse, verse 6. How means we speak wisdom among them that are perfect? So, how will I, or what will I do, or how will I display the power of God by speaking wisdom among them that are perfect? Does that make sense? So, the display of the power is a speaking of wisdom. Amen? Now, does this mean that in that speaking of wisdom, we don't have displays of the power of God, like the power of God healing the sick soul and so forth? We do. But the demonstration of the spirit and power is not primarily healings and miracles. Are you together? The demonstration of the spirit and power is fundamentally the wisdom of God which is seen in the resurrection, as I'm going to show you very soon. Are we together, guys? Are we together, guys? Now, let's continue. It says, How is we speak? Among them that are perfect, they not the wisdom of this world. Now, the wisdom of this world that comes to nothing, or that comes to not. He says, but, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, wait. If, how can it say we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery? If it's in a mystery, how can you speak it? Amen? I will tell you that. If it's in a mystery, you should not be able to understand it. So, how can you speak it? So, a better rendition of this, I think I would also say, prepositions like one thing in the Greek is E N N. I need to check what it means. 
like they didn't have a proper structure for prepositions in the Greek. It can mean in, it can mean from, it can mean by, it can mean bits. Do you understand my point? That was how their prepositions were. Do you get me? And so you have to now pay, like you have to look by context, which is the most appropriate. Alright? And so they can't have been speaking the wisdom of God in the mystery, because that goes against the idea of the mystery. The mystery is something that is not understood that needs to be explained. I will say that. So for you to be speaking the wisdom, it means it's no longer a mystery. Does that make sense? Right? So how about we say, but we speak the wisdom of God out of the mystery? Are we saying that, guys? Do you understand the point? Do you understand? So it's not in a mystery. Rather, we are speaking the wisdom out of a mystery. He says, even the wisdom of God, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Now look at where it makes sense. Verse 8. Verse 8, verse 8, verse 8. He says, which none of the princes of this world knew. So, we are speaking wisdom. Yet, the none of the princes of this world knows this wisdom. Can you see why it's a mystery? Can you see? But we are, so, it's a mystery to them, but it's wisdom to us. Does that make sense, guys? So, we are speaking the wisdom. However, it's a mystery to them. He says, for them known is the one that crucified the Lord of glory. Verse, verse 9. He now says, but as he said, I has not seen, nor yet heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, okay, back to verse 9, please. Now, when he says, I have not seen, nor yet heard, nor entered into the heart of man, you know, by context so far, we've been talking about salvation. How do we talk about salvation? Verse 9, uh, verse 8, sorry. For which none of the princes of this world knew? For I didn't know this, they will not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, meaning the wisdom has to do with the salvation plan. Does that make sense then? Meaning, if the priests of this world actually knew that, the death of Jesus would lead to the defeat of the devil, they would have done it. But they did not know, so they crucified the Lord of glory. Are we together? So, clearly, speaking of what? Salvation. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? Now, look at what it now says, as it is written, high has not seen, nor hear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. This will clearly be explaining why it's in history. It's a mystery because I have not seen. Because he has not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now, this is the quotation of Isaiah 64. This particular prophecy also had immediate and future relevance, but we don't have the time to go there. You can look it on your own. Isaiah 64 from verse 1 to the end. On your own, you can read that. But once you realize now, pay attention. He says, I have not seen no year end. There's a problem with this verse. So he's talking about the places of the world as for the people that killed Jesus. That means the prophecy about the Messiah was already available in these days. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. It was a mystery, but it was available. Are we together, guys? So, when he says, I have not seen your no, yet, is it thinking of awareness or understanding? Hey, God. It's understanding. Because clearly, I would have seen. It was written in the laws. Just like it was written in the Old Testament. So when people were reading it, they most likely would have read it, but they did not know. Do you understand? So when he says, I have not seen, nor yet heard, neither has he entered into the heart of man. These people were getting this contradictory. Heart of man, they gave prophecies. Are you with me? How could it have how did he not enter into the heart of man when they gave prophecies about it? Why? Because the heart of man is speaking about here. He's not understanding. So it's understanding. It's not about giving prophecies, which is awareness. Do you understand my point? Does that make sense, guys? So, so high apostle for here is not speaking about what God is going to do in your life. Eyes I'm seeing. Do you understand? Yes, yes I'm here. The kind of blessing. The kind of blessing that's about to follow me. Let's go on. You give you no solo. The apostle, so sorry, the king Solomon. 
He particularly said, there's no music under the sun. Amen. Quite frankly, there's no kind of testimony you can have that we've not heard before. Actually. Amen. Amen. I have not seen nor he heard that. I have seen and hear that. Quite frankly. Amen. Hallelujah. This is not only about the testimony that will blow your mind. The salvation plan. Does that make sense, guys? Are we together? Now, let's continue. Verse 7. It says, But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searched all things, yet the details of God. First of all, the word search here is actually the word that we saw. When it says search the scriptures, it means to him. It means because we have the spirits, the spirit has explicitly revealed to us concerning what eyes have not seen nor ears heard. Are we together? So because we have the spirits, we can understand the mystery. Does that make sense then? Are we together? So why will the princes of the world not understand the mystery? Because they don't have the spirit. Does that make sense then? Are we together? Now, what this would mean, therefore, is that any man who does not have the spirit dwelling within him will not be able to understand the mystery. Yes or no? Yes, sir. Now, were there men who had the spirit in them before the resurrection? No, sir. No. So, meaning no man before the resurrection had the spirit? Yes or no? Yes, sir. Does this include Moses? Yes, sir. Does this include Elijah? Yes, sir. Does this include David? Yes, sir. So, can you see why you don't understand? So, did they speak it? Yes. Hallelujah. Did they keep prophecies? Yes. Did they understand this? No. Why? It's not because God hid it from them. Clearly, in fact, God wanted to speak it through them. He gave it through His Spirit. Like, the Spirit was prophesying. Even though they could not understand, the Spirit was still prophesying. Looking for the best way possible to let them get it. But they could not understand because they did not want have the Spirit. Now, let's continue. Verse 11. He said, when he said, the Spirit said all things, he did things of God. The one did then, the same word is for mystery. It's not any Spirit said all things, he did things. No. It's just that the Spirit would explain the mystery unto us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. One of the things anybody who listens to me will notice is I hate anything that sounds esoteric. I don't like it. If you cannot explain it, close it. Amen? Anything, there's no such thing as you cannot get it there. That is, uh, say, it's too, it's too deep for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you cannot teach it. You don't understand. It's not even, even Jesus. Jesus, the depth of depths, never said it's too difficult. He said, the only thing you get to say, there are yet many, I have many to say to you, you cannot bear them now. However, when the spirit of truth is come. So, the only thing that people already said that they were they could understand was well, because they didn't have the words. Spirit. Can you see first Corinthians 2? Amen? Hallelujah. So can you see when I said that in the new creation, not only have we come into light, we have come into revelation knowledge. Can you see now? Hallelujah. So in the new creation, not only do we have access to God that like we can pray to Him, we have access to God because we can understand Him. Is it clear now? Is it clear? Beautiful. So now, first we're going to this level. Hey God. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Now we have received. Now let me just stop and say something. Now can you not see how, even when we do it now, is that not enough? Amen. It's not that big of. It's not that big of a deal. Even when we do this, like six hours, amen. Amen. Can you see what have we explained so far? In six hours, what do you six hours? Do? 
it is well. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God that we may do what? No. This matter to be what? Is he awareness or understanding? Understanding. The things that are freely given to us of God. Verse 13. He says, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual to spiritual. They don't want to say that. What the fact is actually talking about is not that he was not able to compare spiritual things with natural things. Paul did that a lot. But what it actually means is teaching spiritual things to spiritual people. Who has that in their version? Maybe NIV. Check NIV, maybe NKJV. That's what you see there. Newer versions. Check. First Corinthians 2 and verse 13. Spiritual things up to spiritual. What does it say? Okay, uh, and we impart this in words, mm-hmm. not taught by human wisdom, All right. but taught by the Spirit. Taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths mm-hmm. to those who are spiritual. To those who are spiritual. You know what I have to say that? Of course, that makes total sense. We are teaching spiritual things to men that are spiritual. In this context, spiritual people will be referring to men who, you know, pray 16 hours or men who are the spirits. So, in this context, a spiritual man, and this is why also it's important to use Bible words in Bible context. Because it's not a bit that when you, when you see the Bible spiritual, I will say that. For example, Galatians 6 and verse 1. He says, If any man be overtaken in the false, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of weakness. So, in other words, for him to call it spiritual, it means that that brother that is overtaken in the false is not spiritual. He's actually kind of. Are we together? And then he says, You which are spiritual, he says, Restore in the spirit of weakness. All of you are brothers, but you are spiritual. Are we together? So, let, so don't just speak words. And interestingly, it's the same Paul that says it. The same Paul that calls everybody spiritual in 1 Corinthians 13 calls only some Christian spiritual in Galatians 6 1. Are we together? This is where reader relevance and reader relevance, context, and use of language comes in every application. I'm going to talk about this again. Very soon. So, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Verse 14. He said everything. <laughs> I mean, okay, do you want to talk about it now? Time has gone, there's no time again. I have literally less than five minutes. Alright, first reason is two, and there's something. Let me see the time. Alright, he says, But the natural man received not the things of the Spirit of God. He says, For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are what? So the natural man cannot receive things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. Will the natural man here include Moses? Yes, we didn't include Moses. Yes, sir. We didn't include David. Yes, sir. We didn't include Samuel. Yes, sir. Why? Because they do not have the spirit. Beautiful. Now, verse 15. He says, verse 15, but he that is spiritual judges all things. He descends. Judge, so judge doesn't mean you are judging something. He likely can also be to discern. To be able to tell the difference between something and something. And the sentence is function is by knowledge. Does that make sense, guys? Alright? So he judges all things, yet himself is judged of him. Verse, verse um, 16. I don't want to talk to my he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that we instruct him? He says, We have the mind of Christ. And people use this verse to now talk about their back in their school exams. Say, say, I can never fail because I have the mind of Christ. Ah, I love you now. Amen. By context, we have the mind of Christ, meaning we have the understanding of Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. It means we have a perspective toward the Old Testament that is as regards Christ. Meaning, See, we, we, we know the revelation of Jesus, or we understand salvation in Christ Jesus from the Old Testament because we have a perspective of Christ. That's what we have the understanding of Christ. I wish that the I wish that So, we can understand the things that have been freely given to us of God when we open the Old Testament. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. You pass your exam because you read the books. You pass your exam because you have the working brain. You pass your exam because you sit down to study. 
Amen. But you understand salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. By when you read the New Testament, because you have a mind in Christ. I want you to remember the Christ now cause you to do. It causes you to sit down, to pick up the volume of books, to read the entire thing together, and to come into understanding of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So you bless. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on carisol.mini at gmail.com. We call you blessed.